what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Okay, welcome back to Meet Bridget. We are so pleased to welcome Kristen Hopkins to our show today. Kristen is an entertainment attorney licensed to practice in both New York and New Jersey. She was most recently a contestant on season 25 of The Bachelor featuring the first Black Bachelor. She is a dynamo, an open book, an advocate, and an overwhelmingly kind and humble human being. Welcome Kristen to our show. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here tonight. Well, we're so excited to talk with you. I think your story is so interesting. So how was your day today? It was kind of long, for sure. You know, I'm definitely still, you know, working from home, which I'm kind of over at this point because it's been, you know, over a year. So I'm definitely ready to do some in-person things and get into the office and kind of get more on like a schedule. I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm still just kind of like flailing and, you know, I'm tired of it. (laughs) I know. It's like it's been one long year, but one quick year at the same time. It's very, absolutely very strange loop. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood experiences, where you're from, where you grew up, a little bit about your family? Absolutely. So I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, um, which is a very suburban area. Obviously, it's near the water. My parents actually divorced when I was at least separated. I was three and officially divorced when I was about seven. Um, So, you know, it was definitely, you know, interesting growing up with, you know, uh, parents who were divorced and, you know, just navigating that process while still, you know, trying to have, you know, a normal childhood. My parents did a very good job of making sure that, you know, even though they weren't together, that, you know, I still got, you know, normal, quote unquote, experiences. And uh, yeah, I was in Virginia Beach for most of my life. I went to, you know, undergrad and law school in Virginia. Um, And then, you know, after law school, I decided I was like, I need to get out of Virginia. (laughs) Um, So I definitely moved up north um, to, you know, pursue my law career. Do you have siblings? I do. I have a brother and he's turning 25 in a week. And I cannot believe that. Can you talk a little bit about that experience of like, how did your parents let you know that they were separating and how did you kind of process that at the time? I can't really remember if they ever like sat me down. I'm sure they did, but I just don't remember. I think I just remember all of a sudden, you know, I do remember the day that like we moved out because my, I have an older um, cousin who's very tall and like very big. And I remember he came and helped my mom move everything out of the house. I do remember that day. Um, and then, you know, we were just in a new apartment and, you know, life was just a different life after that point. Um, I think I'm just a person that kind of rolls with the punches and I've always been like that. So, um, I just kind of kept moving along and just adjusted to, you know, a new life that I had. And how old were you then? I was definitely like four or five around that time. Wow. Oh, so you were pretty young. And your brother was, your brother was much younger than you then, right? Yeah. So he was just born about one two years old around that time okay so apart from your your parents and your brother obviously um you know you you mentioned a cousin how did you did you have a close extended family uh, aunts uncles grandparents oh for sure yes so my mom is actually one of 13 children so I have a very big extended family lots of cousins lots of aunts and uncles and obviously we get together all the time 
Um, and obviously very close to my grandparents when they were alive. So my mom's mom was very close to her um, when she was alive. And then my dad's parents, um, I was very close with them as well. And so, you know, they were very instrumental um, in my parents' divorce. And they definitely made sure that, you know, when my parents were going through things that I was either with either set of my grandparents. And that was just really great. And I'm just so thankful that I got to spend that time with them. It, yeah, it was definitely very instrumental for me and my brother. That's such a gift. I I actually come from a really big family also. And my mom remarried when I was quite young. I think I was about five years old. And there was a period of time when it was just her and I. I was an only child still at that time. But, you know, having that big extended family to lean on makes a huge difference. And having, you know, cousins to play with, I think it gives you a semblance of normalcy as a child because you have all of these different constants in your life that probably was really helpful in helping you and your brother maintain just like a sense of everything's going to be okay because even though everything's changing, there are things that are still consistent. Would you say that those experiences, you mentioned that you tend to roll with the punches. Do you think that that has contributed to it? Like even as an adult? I think so. I definitely, like my mom, she mentioned that to me when I was like in high school that like I'm the type of person that is just like, resilient and rolls with the punches. And I, as I get older, I kind of like realize that now that even though, you know, things may not go my way, or I may not get what I want at that moment, I kind of just like pick myself up. And I'm like, okay, like I may not have it now. And things may seem a little rocky and, you know, rough now, but I know that it's not going to always be like this. And so I just think that, you know, my mom's kind of like that too. So maybe because I just saw her, you know, Mm -hmm. pick up her whole life and just start a, a whole new life over. So that's just kind of something that I've just always done and been like. And so obviously just seeing her probably is why I'm that way. Yeah. Was she working at the time? Yes. So she's been, um, you know, a working mom my entire life. It's been very great to see her doing that because she never missed anything that I did. So, you know, I was very active and she had me and my brother in so many activities from dance to track. My brother's a drummer. So he was always, you know, playing somewhere um and she like never missed any recital a performance any when I ran for like class secretary she was there so you know she was just always there and so it's very impressive that you know she was still able to you know work her job and still you know find time to make sure that we were supported throughout um our childhood incredible it's amazing how like moms can can manage to do that right I know and I'm like I get tired from just like having to work and like like you know make a meal for myself and I'm like I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it with when children roll around <laughs> you're like I've been to three zoom calls today and I'm done exactly tell us a little bit about growing up in Virginia Beach um so definitely growing up in Virginia Beach like I said it's very suburban um it's very it's a diverse place So my mom put me and my brother in uh, a private school. So it was a predominantly white school. So for a time I was, you know, only the only black person um, in my class many a time. And so, you know, she put me in that school because I love to read. I love to learn. And I was just very, you know, I was just always, you know, wanting to get more educationally. So she thought that, you know, this would be a little bit more of a challenge for me. um, And it was. And so, you know, growing up, coming from like a big family that's all black and then, you know, going to a school that, you know, you don't see anyone who looks like you, obviously that's very different. Um, And, you know, it definitely causes 
I wouldn't say identity issues, but obviously it's kind of like you're trying to figure out how you fit in this world um, where you're the only person who looks like you. Did you ever feel objectively left out or, or bullied in any way when you were a kid? Never bullied. I mean, I feel like at least at the school that I was at, I never really felt left out with students there, but it was more kind of always having to prove myself with the faculty and like in classes and, you know, trying to get, you know, into the honors classes, even though like I, you know, had the grades and I could be in those classes, you know, it wasn't like I was automatically put in those classes. Like my parents had to go and talk with the administration and be like, why is she not in these classes? She does just as much work and gets the same grades as the other kids who you probably didn't even think twice about, you know, putting into these classes. So, you know, why are you questioning her abilities and things like that? So, you know, that was definitely something that, you know, I went through and I was just trying to figure out like, why, you know, why am, why am I being treated this way? Um, And so having to go through and process all of that was always very hard and different for sure. It's really interesting because it's so insidious. Like I grew up in California my entire life, um, different parts of California, but in high school, I grew up in a little town that was very rural. I was like the one, one of maybe like two or three ethnic kids and everyone else was predominantly white. And it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't like anyone was overtly trying to be mean, disrespectful, racist. But so many things happen that were so insidious that it becomes apparent that, like, people's perceptions are really tailored to the environments that they grow up in. And so people would make comments. They'd, like, call me names. I I did get bullied. But, I mean, I really don't think that kids are inherently bad. I think they learn from their surroundings. So, I mean... Did you have any instances in life where you felt like overtly called out other than, I mean, I know you're talking about having to work harder and prove yourself, but did you ever run into any situations in school where you had to say like, no, this is wrong or, you know, like learn to speak up for yourself? I mean, definitely with the classes I had to speak up for myself and make sure that, you know, the, like my teachers knew that I'm just as good as these other students. I can do the work, um, if not just as good, if not, or better. And so I definitely had to make sure and learn to find my own voice and assert myself. Um, But, you know, I remember one time I was at a friend's pool party and um, they had a bathroom outside and they had a bathroom inside. And I remember the bathroom outside was just like dirty. I think a kid before me had just definitely gone in there and just done a number on the bathroom and I was just not going to use it. And so I asked, you know, the parent if I could go inside and she was just like, no but I had just seen someone else go inside and use the bathroom. So it was like very just like taken aback that she wouldn't let me go inside and use the bathroom as if I was going to like make it gross or dirty or if I just, I'm sure that she's never had a black person in her house before, except maybe to clean. But it just like felt very just like off putting and she eventually did let me go use the bathroom. But I felt like very like self-conscious of myself. So like even after I used the bathroom, I like took a paper towel and like wiped everything down because I was just like, I don't want her to think that like I'm dirty and I don't know how to like, you know, clean or something like that. So that almost makes me want to cry. I mean, it is crazy how uncomfortable people can be with 
what they perceive as different from mm-hmm. them, right? Like I also, mm-hmm. I grew up in a very, very small town where, um, you know, I come from a mixed race marriage. So I'm half one culture, half another. And, you know, even like my school didn't know what to do with me and my siblings. And it's just like, as a kid trying to process, like, why am I being treated differently? Because a kid can, might not know what to call it, whether it's, you know, racism or bullying or sexism or whatever it is, but they, they're able to pick up on like, what's happening to me is different from what's happening to my peer. Absolutely. Did you ever talk to your parents or your grandparents about things like this? Like, do they have words of wisdom for you or like, what did you do in these moments? So I definitely talked to my mom about it. My mom, I call her Malcolm X because my mother will like ride to like the end of day for me and my brother. So when honestly anything happens, so me and so like I've like learned to like not tell her everything because if I do, she might like go off the deep end and do anything. So, you know, if I would say something happened at school or, you know, with a parent, you know, she would be on the phone the next day or down at the office Mm -hmm. um, talking to them and, you know, letting them know like what's happening is not okay. And, you know, she's definitely told me, she was like, Kristen, there's no need to be quiet. She was just like, you know, we've come too far. You know, you are at this great school, you're getting this great um, education and you need like, you're here for a purpose. And so if you see something that's wrong or something that's happening to you or anybody, honestly, that's wrong, you need to step up and, say something. And I think that that's kind of something that I've honestly done everywhere that I've gone. Um, so, you know, if anything happens, that's wrong. I'm not afraid to, I mean, it is, it's scary, of course, because you don't know like what could happen to you, especially like now that I'm a professional and I'm working. And, you know, if I say something, could I, you know, be fired or treated differently than, you know, my other um, peers and employees. So, but I just feel like I have to say something because if I don't who will I think that's a really thoughtful way to go about it though because you make a good point speaking up is really scary speaking up and being the type of person who is assertive doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't afraid that you're going to hurt somebody's feelings rock the boat like you said I mean there are so many caveats to being open um I mean, now you have internet trolls you have like you name it people hide behind the facade of a glass screen but to be able to step back and think about it and say something meaningful in a thoughtful way is really important. And I, I mean, I applaud you for taking that lesson from your mom and carrying it through your life. Your mom also sounds like a really strong woman. And I wonder, did she, I I know you said you're close to your grandparents. Did some of that, was that a trickle down effect? And with that, let's take a quick break. So the world is going back to normal, which means the days of work from home and filtered Zoom calls are sadly and not so sadly coming to an end. If you're anything like me, I've spent the last year and a half letting my skin breathe because I haven't had to put makeup on or rush into the office. And now I'm coming to the point where I'm getting ready to layer it back on. I want all of the eyeshadow, foundation, and healthy glow for this summer. The difference is I want to know exactly what's in my products and exactly what's going on my skin. So I am super excited to share with you all Kinder Beauty Box. It is a beauty box like no other. 
Kinder Beauty Box is founded on principles of clean beauty. No parabens, sulfates, EDTAs, or toxins. Their products are 100% vegan and cruelty-free. They've never been tested on animals. And this is something I love. A portion of their sales go toward like-minded charities every single month. Kinder combines the greatest products of anything you could imagine from hair to skin, nails, lipstick, eyeshadow, you name it. They all follow the principles of clean vegan beauty. This month's box has some of my favorite brands in it from Pacifica and OC, and I'm just, I can't wait to get mine in the mail. We're really excited to share that Kinder is offering our listeners 40% off. That's right. You heard me correctly, 40% off just by using code Bridget, B-R-I-D-G-E-T. All you have to do is head to kinderbeauty.com, K-I-N-D-E-R, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com. Select your box. Subscribe. You will not regret it. You're going to get some gems this month. And we're back. Definitely. So like I said, so my grandma on my mom's side, she had 13 kids. Um, so and 10 of them are girls. So obviously, you know, she definitely bonded with the girls a little <laughs> bit more. Definitely toward the end of my grandma's life, my mom definitely stepped in a lot more to take care of her. Um, just because my mom's on the radio, so her job's a little bit more flexible. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we spent a lot more time over there. And so, you know, just seeing, you know, my mom with my grandma and just seeing how she helped her out and, you know, just seeing, you know, the bond that they had, um, was definitely just very inspiring to me and just, you know, definitely great to see. And, you know, I just want to, you know, continue that with my mom because, you know, as she's, you know, my mom is starting to get older. And so I definitely want to make sure that, you know, I'm taking care of her in the same way that my mom took care of my grandma. I hear in your voice too, the way you you talk about how your mom was such an advocate, not only for, you know, you and your brother growing up, but also for her own mother. I Mm -hmm. feel like that translates probably in so many ways to your your career right now as Mm -hmm. an attorney, you know, by nature of that job, you are advocating for your clients probably in a lot of roles. Does that, do you feel like those things are connected for you? Definitely. I definitely, everyone says I act like, a lion cub sometimes like like over her cubs when like anything happens so I, I was an RA in um in college and then was in law school I was like the head of the RAs and so like when anything happened to my RAs I would like go crazy and I would like make sure that they were protected and everyone was just like you are just like a you know a mama bear over all of us um and so I definitely you know I think I got that from my mom um, you know, she's definitely protective over her family and making you know anybody that you know she's close to. And so I think I definitely got that from her for sure. So it definitely translates to my clients as well because if I'm very passionate about them, what they stand for, I'm definitely going to make sure that that comes across. What about your dad? Do you feel like you what was he doing um, for work when you when you were growing up? Do you think you have um, some some traits from him too? For sure. So my dad was in the military in the army. And so when I was growing up, he was, back and forth. So since my parents were divorced, I lived with my mom mostly. And so when I was younger, my dad was in Bosnia when I was about, like in second grade. And then he went to Afghanistan and Iraq and he was there twice in Iraq. Um, so he was back and forth, at least from second grade up until about sixth or seventh grade. Um, so during that time, you know, I saw him when he would come back to visit during the times that he did. And then, you know, after, you know, he came back permanently, 
you know, I definitely spent more time with him because my parents lived down the street from each other, um, <laughs> literally down the street. That can't be a coincidence, right? Were they cordial? Um, no, I think it just kind of happened that way. Like it literally just happened that way. So, you know, it was definitely easy to go back and forth. If I left anything at my dad's house, you know, I could, you know, go there. If I left anything at my mom's house, we could go there. Like honestly, less than, like I could walk. Like that's, that's how close <laughs> it was. <laughs> so a happy accident for the kids. <laughs> yeah, so me and Colin, um, we were definitely very happy with that. And it definitely made life easier on us. That's actually nice because I imagine it helped with the separation and like the weirdness of not having both of your parents or, or like what I presume you guys would feel as weirdness, not being able to have both parents in one household to to be able to go back and forth. When he was right. deployed, did you were you guys aware of what he was doing? Like, did you understand the gravity of his work and did that affect you and your brother at all? I didn't quite understand. I just knew that, you know, there was wars and, you know, unrest, you know, over the world, all over the world, and that he was going to help with that. But I didn't quite understand. Obviously, when I got older, I understand more. And I was like, wow, you really were out here in these, like in these streets doing stuff. I definitely commend him for doing that and going back and forth and, you know, continuing with that work. And he, you know, just retired recently. You know, I definitely come from a military family. My grandpa was also in the military on both sides, both of my grandfathers were definitely on my dad's side we're definitely a very military oriented family so it's definitely um an act of service that you know they feel instilled within within them but my brother did not have that calling what does your brother do he's a drummer (laughs) (laughs) complete opposite of being in the military (laughs) and kind of the opposite of being a a lawyer yes for sure yes professional type of job but mm-hmm. it's so interesting to kind of see the different ways people choose to go and compared to their parents and parents parents you're just saying the places that he was stationed like Bosnia Iraq Afghanistan was I mean I can imagine he he must have seen some crazy things there did you see a change between the times that he returned I think I was too young to perceive it, but I think now I realize that like he's actually definitely seen some stuff and you know, obviously he's getting older now too. And so like I definitely see like, you know, he's like, I'm just tired all the time. And I'm like, you know what, I get that because like you were really, you know, he was definitely active and traveling a lot for the army. So I definitely can see now that how it's taken a toll on him, but I didn't see it before. Yeah, that's wild. It's crazy how as an adult, you look back and you just understand these different facets of your parents that as a child, I mean, you're so, even when you think you're so mature and you understand Mm -hmm. it so well, it's not until you get to zoom out and you look back at your, your parents and you're like, wow, that's what you were doing. And you're experiencing things. And you're like, they must've been thinking these things too. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so crazy. I mean, it is a gift to be able to look back and to understand them as fuller people. What about your grand, your grandfathers? I think you mentioned that you were very close with your grandfathers as well. Yes. So my mom's dad, I wasn't really close with him. I think I had only met him once. Um, But my dad's dad, I was definitely very close with him. Um, Everyone says that I'm like, I'm him in 
the female form, which I think is so funny and actually quite accurate now that, you know, I'm older and can see. Um, but he was definitely so, so great. So he was definitely very instrumental when my parents were, you know, having, you know, their issues. He definitely made sure he was like, I know that I think he told my mom, he was like, I know that you guys are having issues. He was like, but I want to make sure that I still get time with, with them. So, you know, I would definitely see them, you know, very often because they were only like an hour away. And so, you know, my grandfather was also, you know, at all my events too. So when I had a dance recital, whenever I had, you know, a play or anything like that, he was always there with his recording camera. So thankfully I have everything recorded (laughs) um, when I was a child um, because he was always there. And, you know, he was definitely a big proponent for education. So, you know, whenever I had any issues with school or questions, I would definitely just call him up and I would be like, can you help me with this math problem? And he would sit on the phone with me and do it until we got the answer. So I was really, really grateful for him um, and for that. Yeah, to have someone who really just believes in you. I feel like especially as a child, Mm -hmm. knowing that someone knows you can do it, that they're proud of you, they believe in you is such a motivating force. Mm Can we talk a little bit about just your path to becoming an attorney? Did did you, you know, know from an early age that that was a, something that you would consider or was that something that kind of developed later on? So I remember I thought about it in high school and so we had like a career day um and an attorney came and so I asked if I could shadow him and I was so bored. <laughs> the entire time with him. I was like, wow, being an attorney is really boring. And he was like a trusted estates attorney, like honestly dry and like, sorry if trusted estates attorneys are listening, you know, your work is dry. It is. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, I was like, I could never be an attorney after that. And, you know, that was like 11th grade in high school. And then, you know, I get to college. I definitely wanted to do something with politics. And so, you know, I was taking, you know, the government classes and I just realized I was like, actually going to Washington is like not, not it right now. And I just, you know, I can't do it. So I considered law school again. And, you know, that just seemed to be a better fit for me. And I knew that I really liked, you know, entertainment and things like that. And my mom's on the radio. So I was very, you know, used to being around entertainment industry. And so I was like, you know what, I think that I would like entertainment law. And, you know, the more that I looked it up and researched it, you know, that's kind of how I knew, like, that's what I wanted. I wanted to at least pursue to see if it was something that I liked. Were your grandparents who you were close to, were they, um, were they still around when you went to law school? So my grandma, uh, my dad's mom, she passed away when I was a second year in law school, um, but my other grandparents had passed away. Okay. Can we talk a little bit about losing your grandparents? Because it seems like they were really instrumental just influence in your early life. Absolutely. So the first grandparent that I rec- so my mom's dad passed away when I was about three. Um, but like I said, I met him one time. And so I didn't really know him um, as much. Um, but my mom's mom passed away when I was eight. And, you know, that was definitely a lot because, you know, I think I said that, you know, my mom was definitely helping take care of, you know, her mom. So like we were there all the time and, you know, she unfortunately passed away when, when my brother and I were there and, you know, it was definitely very confusing for me and my brother. I don't think I talked to my brother about it. I don't even think he kind of recalls what happened. And, you know, I was sleeping in the next room and my brother was trying to 
you know, to wake me up and say, you know, can you come help? Can you come help? And, you know, I'm a very light sleeper. And so if you touch me, I'm up. Um, but for some reason, I think it was, you know, definitely God. I don't think God wanted me to, you know, witness that. And, you know, I did not budge at that moment. And I just remember, you know, being picked up by an emergency um, technician, emergency responder, and him carrying me out of out of her apartment. And I just, you know, not really knowing what was happening and what was going on. And, you know, that was definitely very hard for me because like the first person that I had known um, that was close to me that I lost. Yeah. And at such like a young age, mm-hmm. oh, that, it just hits me right in the heart to imagine you in that, in that place. But um, it is kind of beautiful the way you've kind of, you've thought about it mm-hmm. and why you, you continued sleeping. And um, it definitely seems like her impact on you has continued to where you for sure. Yeah, you've definitely carried all the best traits from your grandparents and your parents into all of your success in life. Let's talk a little bit about law school. I mean, how was that transition? Because I think you you told it probably not during this specific interview, but when we were talking before this that you you're the first lawyer in your family. Yeah. So you know, I think it's important to like know that like law school is different than any sort of academic environment that you've been in before. Even if you have a master's degree and you've gone to some sort of mm-hmm. graduate program, law school is just different. And so, you know, being the first lawyer in my family and not really, you know, having a lawyer to guide me through that process was definitely very difficult at first because law school is done in a very specific way. And if you don't know that way, you're going to get lost in the sauce. And so, you know, it took me, you know, like the first semester when I got, got like my grades back, I was like, okay, we need to refresh and reframe and figure out, you know, what is it? And, you know, thankfully I had some friends who are older than me, who definitely, you know, helped me and guide me. And it definitely like restarted the whole thing again. And I was able to, you know, do better. Um, But, you know, if you don't know what's going on in law school, you're not going to know. And I don't know if you guys know or people who are listening know. So when you go to law school, your only grade is your exam at the end of the semester. So you have no other grades but that. So everything is writing on that one exam. Stressful. (laughs) So I went to business school at USC and part of the business school degree is that you can take classes in other schools. So Mm -hmm. I took actually an entertainment law class Mm -hmm. um, on contracts at the law school. And I remember Mm -hmm. that like being in the classes, even all the energy was so different because it's also so competitive mm-hmm. that it's like your only grade is that final exam. And then once you get the grade, they, they also like they rank everybody it's or at curved. least they did. Mm-hmm. So I, I just remember like being in that classroom and, and whereas in the business school classrooms, like everybody's collaborating and they're talking, speaking in class in that class, the, the um, professor literally lectured the whole time and then everybody left. Like, it was a just totally different vibe. So I can imagine, I mean, and I had a, I, my older sister went to USC law school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had a reference point at least to ask someone about like, oh, this kind of class is a little bit different, but I can imagine not having anyone in your family for that first, you know, experience, first semester or Mm -hmm. of law school being really, um, Intense. So can you, um, because some of our listeners are going to be young girls or, or, you know, young adults transitioning into this time of their lives. For example, my sister Kara 
who is one of our first interns at Bridget. She's actually, she actually just graduated from UCLA this weekend. I'm very proud of her. Congratulations. Thank you. But she wants to go to law school. So what advice do you have for young women or for anybody listening, really? What was the big pivotal change that you made when you got to that point after the first semester where you were like, oh, crap, I need to reevaluate? Um, I definitely think that you need to talk to lawyers like at every point in their career. That's so important because at first, I was only talking to lawyers who were older than me, like much, much older, who had been attorneys mm-hmm. for like 20 years plus. And their experience is not the same as what's happening in the profession right now. Um, I definitely think that there's definitely a change in the profession that's happening. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, you need to talk to lawyers, you know, older just to get their perspective, because it's good to have find a lawyer that's like, you know, 10 years out as well, speak with them about their experiences talk to an attorney who's two to three years out and see how they're doing. Cause you know, they just, you know, took the bar and they, you know, they've been in their job for two to three years at this point. So they kind of know a little bit, not a lot, cause that's where I'm at, I'm at right now. Um, but they definitely do have some good experiences and then definitely talk to, you know, people who are in law school right now, because, you know, they also have some experience. So mm-hmm. I would definitely say before going to law school, before even taking the LSAT, before opening an LSAT book, I think those are the groups of people you need to talk to just to get some perspective and just to make sure you even like being an attorney or what it's like, because it's not for the faint of heart um, because it's definitely, I always say it's like a train and the train doesn't stop. And so like once you hit that train and once you get on it, you're going and it's just full speed ahead. As soon as you get in law school, take the bar, start your job and you just keep going. Um, So I feel like people who are interested in law school need to know that before, you know, getting aboard that train. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice, too, because, I mean, I I don't work in law. I actually work in medicine. And it's so true. I mean, in any industry that you go into, but especially something like law or like medicine, industries change. And I'm sure that's true about everything. But industries change over time with technology, with different you know, with evidence. Um, so that's that's such a great piece of perspective for anybody looking to break into their career or try to figure out what they would like their career to be. So once you graduated law school, what was it like stepping out into the professional world? What did you get started doing? How did you find your way into entertainment law? So I took the bar exam and then I started clerking. Um, so that's always an option after you graduate law school. And even once you've you know started your legal job, clerking is when you work for a judge for a year and you you definitely help them out and you write you know opinions and decisions. And it's definitely a prestigious job. There are people who love it. There are people who don't like it. I'll let you guys guess and figure out which camp I'm in. I'm not going to say. <laughs> but I did have a great judge who um, I had a great time with. So. There's that, but there are people who love clerking, and and so after I clerked, I started to work um, at a law firm, um, just doing a bunch of different types of law. So just you know, experiencing a bunch of different things. Um, but I had already known that I wanted to do entertainment law because most of my my internships during law school were entertainment law related. So you know, I was you know grateful to get you know experience in multiple different you know facets and different types of law. But I had always known that I wanted to do entertainment law. And then, you know, thankfully, I had an opportunity that opened up 
um, this January with my boss who I interned for when I was in law school. Um, he needed an additional attorney to come um, and help um, on his team. He, well, he works, I work now um, at a tech company um, doing entertainment law. So I am doing exactly what I want to do and I love it. Amazing. Well, it just goes to show too, I mean, not every experience is going to be the, you know, be all end all. It takes a bunch of different stepping stones to get to where you want to be. One of the things that Asha and I discovered about you, which we really love, is that you are published. Can you tell us a little bit about that piece of work? Absolutely. So um, the piece that I wrote about, it's about colorblind versus color conscious casting. So essentially what colorblind casting is, is that you, like when you're casting either um, a play, a movie, any type of um, medium, um, colorblind casting is completely ignoring, you know, the person's race and just trying to find someone who's best for the role. Obviously, for many years, people thought that was the best way to go because obviously, you know, it sounds like it, on paper, it sounds good. You know, it, it makes it seem like, oh, I'm just going to ignore what the person looks like and just find, you know, who fits in this role. But over the years, the, the evidence has shown that that doesn't actually work. And, you know, colorblind casting still disproportionately disproportionately leads to less, you know, people of color being cast in roles. And there's an, there has, was an increase in, you know, people who were not of color being put in roles that were originally meant for people of color because it's called colorblind casting. So, you know, obviously I can put a white person in this role that was meant for, you know, someone who was historically, you know, Asian or black. And so obviously that's not, not okay either because, you know, it's kind of a loophole around, you know, right. including more people of color. So color conscious casting is, you know, thinking about the person holistically and how does this person and their color and what they bring to the, you know, show add to the performance because an audience member, just because, you know, the director can say, I cast this color blindly, the audience member is going to see, you know, a black person on stage, going to see a white person on stage. So, you know, it's up to the casting directors and the um, the director of the show and the producers to make sure that they are thinking about the piece holistically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the paper that I wrote advocates for color conscious casting to be included, um, especially in Broadway productions. Um, and the idea that I got from that stemmed from Hamilton, because, you know, when the casting notice went out about Hamilton, it was like, only people of color can audition. And obviously, you know, white actors like threw a fit, like, oh my goodness, we're being excluded from this. Like, why is this not okay? And so, you know, the show was meant for people of color to, you know, be in these certain roles. And, you know, I just thought that, you know, we need to be more, we need to be thinking more critically about, you know, the actors and what they look like on stage and how does that dictate the story. And this is coming back up again now with In the Heights, the same, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote Hamilton and now he wrote In the Heights and he's being critiqued now because, you know, In the Heights is about Washington Heights in New York. And I don't know if either of you have been to Washington Heights. Um, It's a Dominican neighborhood. And so Dominicans are usually darker skinned. There are no dark dark skin leagues um, in the show and they're all kind of, they are Latinx, but they're not, you know, darker skin Latinx or Afro Latinx people. 
Um, so, you know, it's definitely coming up again that we, you know, we need to be thinking about, you know, when we're casting these shows, thinking holistically about, you know, the people who are auditioning and the people who are eventually being cast in these shows. Yeah. At Bridget, I think Asha and I um, won't use this as our platform to talk too much about our personal opinions, but I do really, I mean, I think it's so commendable and we appreciate so much the way that you think about these things and about the way that you're looking at this from a 365 degree view. And that really at the end of the day, it's about accountability and not trying to smooth over a problem through something like affirmative action, but rather just call it like it is and move forward. I appreciate that. Before we jump into our last like juicy bit our, um, of the interview, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up your role on The Bachelor. So tell us a little bit about what ended up being like the culmination of like, I'm going to jump in and how did you think about it going in and how do you think about it now like as being part of your life? We'll be back after a quick break. Okay, you guys, if you're anything like me, you love getting a little surprise package in the mail. There are so many subscription boxes out there, and it's hard to know which ones are really going to be bang for your buck, really, really good value. We don't take it lightly when we are going to promote one. This one is Kinder Beauty Box. One of the founders is one of the women that we've interviewed, uh, Daniela Monet. Knowing Daniela, Kinder is just full of products that are clean, cruelty-free, vegan, and just all the good stuff. Uh, you can go to kinderbeauty.com and they are offering our Bridget listeners a 40% off discount. So how does it work? You sign up for an, a subscription and each month you get $85 or more worth of vegan, cruelty-free, clean beauty products from top ethical and clean beauty brands. At least two of those products are full-size beauty products and they're from all different categories of beauty, whether it's skincare, makeup, hair care, body, you name it. And the best thing is that part of their proceeds, they donate to wonderful charities. So head over to Kinder Beauty Box. Give yourself a little treat in the mailbox. I can't wait for mine to get here. Have fun. And now back to the show. Before June 2020, I had never watched an episode of The Bachelor ever. <laughs> like, I knew what the show was. I knew that it was had been on TV for years, but I had never watched watched the show. And when Matt was announced as the first Black Bachelor, um, my friend was like, oh, my God, you should definitely apply. And I was like, uh, I, I, I don't know. You know, it seems a little sketchy. I've never, you know, had aspirations to be on a reality television show but, you know, Matt is, you know, very attractive. So I was like, if you want to, you know, submit me, that's fine. But like, I'm not going to do any more than that. And then two weeks later, the casting, one of the casting directors called me and I was like, is this a joke? Because <laughs> I was just not expecting to get a call. And, you know, I was just going through the casting process. And as I got further and further along, I was like, wow, I think this is actually about to happen. I need to, you know, decide if this is something I really want to do or not. And, you know, it was during the pandemic. So, you know, I was still, you know, at work, but, you know, I was, you know, at home and things kind of were slowing down a little bit. So I was like, you know what, this is a lifetime, once in a lifetime opportunity. So, you know, I might as well just try and kind of see 
kind of see what happens. I, I mean, I had inklings that it was going to turn out that way, especially knowing ABC's track record with mm. race issues, um, especially with this show. Funny enough, in my paper that I had published, I in there's a footnote about casting in The Bachelor in there. I don't know if any of the producers saw that. <laughs> um, so I kind of had an inkling kind of, you know, how some of this may or could have operated yeah. and it did end up happening that way. Like I said, I am a person who's not afraid to speak up for things. So, you know, when things were happening with the show, you know, I was very vocal about, you know, my thoughts and feelings about kind of how things were playing out. And, you know, I'm glad that I was. And, you know, I'm grateful for my time on the show, you know, it was, you know, short. And I think that was probably for the best. And, you know, I'm just grateful that, you know, I had a chance to, you know, speak about things, you know, that were important to me and, you know, definitely meet some great people along the way. I mean, I, I feel like it'll be interesting to see where the whole, you know, franchise goes from here because it was definitely, I mean, like a lot of things this year, it was just, there was just a, a lot of talk around every, every from every different angle, right? Mm-hmm. About what went on and you know, the resolution still kind of hangs in the air, right? Right. But it's interesting because I feel like there is this, I don't know if it's a stigma, but people kind of understand now that if you go on The Bachelor, you're kind of getting on the track to becoming an influencer, (laughs) uh, which like people might knock, but also people, you know, make full careers out of that and, you know, Mm -hmm. take it however they decide to take it. Um, has that ever been kind of on your mind? Is it something that you would like to like integrate into your law career or eventually substitute for your law career? How do you kind of um, see that? Or was it really merely like I wanted to go on a show to potentially find love and that's it? So like my first caveat was definitely going to find love. I was like, you know, from, you know, just from seeing him on Instagram, Matt kind of checked all the boxes. I was like, okay, you know, he you know, is educated, you know, he spends time with his family, he likes kids, you know, he has this, you know, um, nonprofit organization. And I was like, okay, so he seems good, you know, enough to go on the show for. Um, But then obviously, you know, you know, in the back of your mind that, you know, there are possible, you know, influencer opportunities. And, you know, that was something I kept in the back of my mind, but definitely was not like a forefront thing that I was thinking about. But now I am being approached for different opportunities opportunities even though I was only on for two weeks but you know I I guess people want me to sell them things <laughs> sell their things <laughs> which is fine um and so I definitely don't foresee it being like a big part of what I do so I definitely do enjoy being a lawyer and it definitely takes up a significant amount of time um but I definitely will be you know integrating it into my you know my Instagram followers um so followers if you're listening I hope that you swipe up. <laughs> I do have multiple loans that need to be paid back. <laughs> <laughs> I do love how strong of an advocate you are for your beliefs and how, you know, being a part of a franchise as big as The Bachelor hasn't compromised your integrity and it hasn't really changed the tune that you've been singing the entire time. Like when you have spoken over the last, you know, almost an hour with us, this is who you are, you know, and clearly you've taken all of your life lessons from growing up in a big family with your parents, your grandparents, you know, and, you know, you've gone head first into your career. 
And I think the same could be said about, you know, just jumping, taking a leap of faith in finding love on The Bachelor. And then also now that it's done, like resuming your career and having that be, you know, your truth and your reality too, that you can jump into something not really knowing what the outcome is going to be. But, you know, if you do it with heart and you do it with um, integrity, you come out the other side and you can still do all of the things that you love and and enjoy your life. Yes. We roll, we roll with the punches. Like I said, we just roll with it. <laughs> I love that. That's what we're about. So Having been through everything that you've been through, all your different roles and stations in life, how would you introduce yourself and what do you lead with? Lately, I've been trying to not lead off with that, with that I'm a lawyer because I feel like that's not the most interesting thing about me. And obviously, people try to like classify you by you know what you do and what your job is. So I definitely just try to you know, lead with, you know, my name is Kristen. You know, I'm from Virginia. I moved here a couple years ago and kind of go from there. I like that. Open-ended, let people get to know you. Right. Kind of depends on the context. Exactly. Do you have any um, daily habits, like a morning routine, a nighttime routine, any mantras that you tell yourself um, in your days right now? I do. So I definitely, I wake up and I do um, a plan on the Bible app. So I definitely will do a plan every single day and, you know, read scripture. Um, I do have a journal um, that I'll journal just a couple of thoughts in just to like get stuff out of my brain onto paper so that, you know, I'm, you know, it's not in my head all day. I've tried to get back into working out in the mornings. <sighs> That's a rough one. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to do it so well, like in law school and when I was um, clerking, but since I've become like a full-time attorney, it's definitely been harder because you know, you kind of want to save all of like your energy for work. And so I feel like when I work out in the mornings, I start off a little bit slower when I start off at work. So I'm definitely trying to find the balance of like exercising in the morning and starting work. But that's kind of like my morning routine. And then at night, I definitely try to wind it down. So I'll find a show that I like just to like, that I watch as I like straighten up. Um, My mother always told me not to leave like my kitchen a mess before I go to bed. So I try to make sure that I clean my kitchen and things are put away. Um, And then obviously, you know, contacts out, wash my face, brush my teeth and go to bed. Yeah. It's a little (laughs) bit of self-care. Love that. Love a good self-care routine. Okay. How do you maintain your convictions when stepping out into the public eye? I think we spoke about this a little bit, but at the end of the day, how like how do you self-regulate and tell yourself I'm going to stay true to myself no matter what? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's very tempting to not, you know, stay true to yourself because, you know, you see other people get ahead, you know, quote unquote, um, by, you know, just doing whatever. But, you know, I, you know, have a specific vision of what my what I want my life to look like. And so, you know, before I do anything, I think about, you know, is doing this going to, you know, be in line with what I want and what I envision what my life is going to look like in the future? And if not, you know, I'm not going to do it or I'm not going to compromise for just a few minutes of, you know, fame or, you know, a like on Twitter or a like on Instagram. Um, so I just kind of try to think about my future self and would my future self be proud of what I'm doing? That's such a good way to kind of frame it without overthinking 
you know, oh, if I do this, what is this going to mean in, you know, 10 mm -hmm. years? Like visualizing future you and the you that you want to be and be proud of and how she would look back and kind of give you um, advice or reflection. Mm -hmm. So you're a lawyer um, and obviously being on The Bachelor and everything opens your, your life up to a lot of exposure, speculation, criticism, trolling. From your professional experience and background, do you like actively mitigate risk in any way? Both of those two things going on. Do you feel like approaching being on The Bachelor, be stepping into that kind of public persona, do you feel like being a lawyer um, informed the way that you did that? Absolutely. Definitely. Because I knew that even though you know, I was good on television, I still had a job to come back to. And so I didn't want to do anything um, that would you know, put me at risk for not having my job when I came back. In addition, you know, I, you know, I'm a barred attorney in two states. And so, you know, I didn't want anything, you know, to jeopardize, you know, those, you know, the fact that I, I am barred. So I wanted to make sure that I came back to a job and still being barred in two states. So I definitely think that I had a different set of, you know, standards going in than I think many of the other girls did. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was okay with that because obviously, you know, that's, that's the life that I chose for myself. And, you know, I'm not upset or mad about that. Right. And I'm sure you could like read the contracts they gave you. Yeah. Your knowledge. Exactly. Um, everyone's like, what does this mean? You're like, that's an NDA. <laughs> yes. You can't say this. You can't do that. <laughs> I think it's so interesting though, because not very many people going into the public eye or going into that world, like you said, have that knowledge base in order to protect themselves. So, I mean, that had to be a huge advantage. And and also, I think just this this new generation of, you know, youth and technology combined, it's like you you don't realize how permanent things are once they get out into the world. So for anyone listening, anything you do on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, Instagram, it's all out there for forever. <laughs> Especially these Bachelor fans, I did not realize that they are intense and they are like crazy, like sleuthing people. And I, I commend them for the amount of literally like CIA level of research. <laughs> <that they> <laughs> yeah. I mean, coming from, so you're obviously a very articulate, thoughtful person. Um, you have a very professional career. Do you have advice for any young people who have kind of stepped into a very public persona, whether it's on TikTok or being on a TV show or being an Instagram influencer? Do you have any advice to young girls when it comes to being in that space? Absolutely. So I definitely think it's important, you know, before you post anything to take some time to learn about like what you're going to post, if there's an issue that you want to talk about definitely make sure that you kind of know about the issue before you post about it because people are going to come at you and they're going to come at you with questions and they're going to try to, you know, counteract what you're saying. And so if you don't, you know, know what you're posting about or sharing, um, I definitely say that, you know, even though I'm an attorney and I feel like I know a lot about a lot of things, I still like look up things before I post it because I want to make sure I know all sides of this issue. If someone, you know, DMs me asking me about this or, you know, saying something contrary to what I've posted, I definitely want to be able to, you know, engage or block them. 
Um, but if I do engage, engage them in a meaningful way <laughs> and not just like I shared this because it was popular to share or something that, you know, people expect me to share. Um, I definitely want to be able to have those conversations. So I think, you know, before you post anything, make sure you know what you're posting and what you're saying. And then obviously it's going to be out there forever. So even if you do like take it down, you know, someone may have a screenshot somewhere that they may bring back up, you know, years later. But I definitely think just like being conscious about what you're posting, but also like social media should be fun at the same time. So like, don't, you know, let, you know, the internet trolls and cancel culture, you know, stop you from, you know, engaging, but just make sure that you're being mindful about how you're yeah, doing it in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And I think education's important at every level of life too. Absolutely. It doesn't matter what, what it is or what you're doing. I think everyone can stand to learn something every day. And I don't think social media is any different. I think it's an opportunity to have open conversations and learn more. Absolutely. Yeah. I love, I love your point about like, you know, doing the research, but also the fact that it seems like what you're posting about, you're making statements with some of the things that you post about and mm-hmm. and, arguments and having opinions. And I think that especially right now, it's easy to feel too afraid to post anything of substance or opinion because mm-hmm. it's okay. Well, what if, what if people don't like what I say or don't agree with what I say? And it, and, you know, I think that that breaks down communication and connection to start with. Like what we're so much about is that it's like, okay, there are going to be difficult things that we'll have different experiences on. We're going to have different backgrounds. We're not going to fully understand each other. But when we come into a room and we actually connect and are able to be like, okay, let me hear your point of view or educate me on what your experience was um, and I'll maybe share mine and we can find something, you know, in common still engaging and posting, not being so afraid of cancel culture, but preparing yourself for it, being like, okay, mm-hmm. I did research. I, I, I believe in what I'm, I'm going to share. Um, and then from there being like, and I'm going to share, I'm, I feel confident. And the person, the me, you know, in the future me that I want to be would approve of this too. Exactly. And I think that, you know, times change and, you know, what we know about certain things is definitely changing completely over time. But I feel like if you, can genuinely say that like at the time this was the information that I had and I think this was the best decision and the best thing that I could have said about this topic like you can definitely explain that and I think that's kind of the best way to go and then you can say that then I believe this but I've learned and I've got more information about x and you know I've learned that you know that may have been wrong in a couple of ways and now I you know I can see why so I think it's important that you know we understand that you know things change. Like I've definitely changed my mind about so many different things as I've gotten Mm -hmm. older and I've learned more. And I think that we need to be more cognizant of that. So we've been um, closing out our interviews um, with kind of fast five questions. We'll ask questions, we'll alternate, and you can answer with whatever comes to mind first without judging it. So I'll start with the first one. Um, Do you have a hype song? What would be your hype song as you're like walking into a room? Ooh. Honestly, like anything Beyonce. Okay. What is the most embarrassing or unexpected thing in your closet that you cannot get rid of? I don't know if I have anything embarrassing. I mean, I definitely keep a lot of things. My mom calls me a hoarder, but like I'm not a hoarder. I'm I'm an organized hoarder, if we're going to say that. <laughs> and so I just like keep any and everything. All right. Number three, um, what is the place where you feel happiest or most meditative? Either at the beach or at my mom's house. 
Okay. If you could have anyone dead or alive over for dinner or fictional, actually, who would it be? And what would you want to talk about? Honestly, I love Beyonce. I love Drake. Malcolm X. You could be like, are you really really like my mom? (laughs) I mean, he could really give some good tea about like what went down back in the day. Like Malcolm for sure. All right. Um, so just for number five, what's what's next for you? Kind of what's on your horizon? What are you looking fo- forward to right now? What's next? So I'm still a lawyer. So I still, you know, work every day. And, you know, I love it. Um, I'm sure we're going back into the office sometime soon. So I'll be happy to, you know, get out of my apartment, which will be nice. Um, but, you know, it's the summer. And, you know, I'm in New York. And so I feel like the summer's already heating up. Would you like, would you ever consider, I I know how they, I feel like the Bachelor franchise like pulls people back in for future things. Are you still open to those conversations? Um, It depends. Like I said, if there are changes that, you know, are substantial and that they're being made, and I think that they are, um, I would definitely would consider, you know, going back and, you know, doing some other Bachelor shows. So, you know, we'll see. So we always close out with the same question, um, and this is mostly reflective because at the end of the day, we're doing this for our next generation of badass women. So looking back on your teen self, what is one attribute you had but didn't see the value in at the time and that you appreciate so much more now as an adult? I think just the sheer belief in myself. Um, I think that I don't think I had like a name to it or like knew exactly what it was. But I just knew that, you know, I had certain abilities and skills. And I wasn't going to let anybody diminish those skills, no matter what they said, because I knew that, you know, I had done the work and I prepared and I, you know, felt confident in doing certain things. And if anyone tried to, you know, say that I wasn't good enough for this or good enough for that, I would be like, okay, I'm not going to listen to what you're saying. Um, I'm just going to continue to, you know, do what I'm doing. And, you know, eventually, you know, that that paid off. And, you know, I've, I'm a lawyer now. So I definitely just think, you know, believing in yourself and knowing that, you know, if you put in the work and if you know that you are, you know, trying to be better and grow in your skills, you know, don't let anyone say that you you don't have those skills or that you shouldn't be confident in what you have. Yes, I love that. Self-doubt is just a killer. And so mm-hmm. I love that. I feel like your ability to just return to yourself and return to yourself like throughout experiences, you know, within your family as a child, experiences going through school, being the first person in law school in your family, um, you know, trying something that a lot of people feel like is crazy, like being on The Bachelor, you've returned to yourself over and over again. And um, we're inspired by that. And I really look forward to having um, our audience be inspired by you, too. Where can our listeners find you? Um, on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is Kristen underscore Bria. Um, and I'm also quite active on Twitter. Um, and my Instagram handle is Kristen B. Hopkins. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?